Now, today, it's personally a special treat because we have Paul and Jean Woodward from Teesside with us. Yeah, it's okay to clap. And they, I, I, I want to embarrass them first. That's okay. I just... They're... they're, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, I want to bless you because I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, they... Teresa and I have discovered something we really admire. A high value for us is courage. And just seeing... Uh, this couple at their stage in life exhibit incredible courage, not settling, be willing to take on new challenge, stepping out. And some of what he's going to share with you, Paul's going to share with you, this, this, is, this is a man with spiritual grr. <laughs> and I love that about him, and I love that about both of them. Um, so he's a, real, he's a real dad in God to lots of people. Uh, and so I want us just to welcome him and enjoy him and, and be blessed by what he's got to give us this morning. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. Come on. Well, good morning. Um, looking around, you all make me feel very old. Well, most of you do. You, you, you are a young bunch. And as, I, as soon as I walked in, I just felt, I just felt there's all sorts of stuff. I haven't got very long, but just I just felt there are destinies in this room. There's just destinies in this room. And I just thought, oh, everywhere I look. But the thing about destiny is this. You've got to grab it, you've got to pursue it, and you've got to continue pursuing God to have it. It's not just somebody prophesied, I'm going to be. It's not like that. Prophecy comes to shape your the, the way you go, the direction you take. And there are destinies in this room, huge destinies in this room. And uh, the other thing, I don't know whether to do this or not. This is like a... Yeah, okay, but this is like a big... I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I, had, I was... A few nights ago, I had... I, I won't call it a dream. It was like an, a, a vision, but a dream. Sort of half and half, an awake sort of dream. That's probably because I'm getting old, and the young men see visions, and the old men dream dreams, and I'm on the turn, as it were. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's not helpful, really, is it? Uh, I, 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 I imagined, or I dreamt, we were traveling up the M74, and you know these these big signs that say drive carefully or all sorts of things. What I saw was it said Glasgow's closed. And I thought, that's weird. But it just wouldn't go away. Every, t- every time I thought about it, just Glasgow's closed. And uh, we were coming up this morning. I didn't know what it meant really. I was coming up this morning and there was all sorts of things like drive carefully. Um, it seemed like drive very carefully. It was all sorts of things. And then, but one said, I said to Jean, I'm sure that said drive swiftly, but it didn't actually. It said drive safely. But I, 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 I <laughs> Jean was driving. And, and, and I've not known what to do with it really, but I was sitting here this morning and I just felt to share it with you because it, it, this is like a prophetic 
I could nearly say a prophetic commissioning for you, and I, I say that carefully, so you have to wear that. But you're here to open up Glasgow, okay, and more. I, I'll share a bit in a minute. But I, I just felt Glasgow's closed, okay? The enemy wants Glasgow to stay closed. And you know what? We can do spiritual things, and we can tinker around. We can even see people healed, and I'm, I'm for all of that. But understand this. Glasgow gets opened when hundreds and thousands of people start turning to Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what we're believing for. And I just, I just felt God said, tell them, I want to commission them with that sort of vision. Is that okay? Can you live with that? Right, now, I, I've, I'm on a fairly tight... Um, Excuse my earlobe, it's getting forced out. I think my ears have got bigger. As you get older, they don't stop growing. If I keep going, they'll be this big. Um, you know, a bit, bit like on Deep Space Nine. Uh, however, if you're a Trekkie, who's a Trekkie? Anybody into Star Trek? Oh, sad people. Anyway. What do you expect from God this morning? If you already had some, but good things? How about a challenge? Oh, good. That's if you like it when I'm finished. Um, I'm, I'm sticking fairly tightly to what I've got down here, if I can get through it. And it asked me particularly to talk about finance and tell you some stories. And uh, this is the most spiritual thing you can talk about. Okay? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And you know, you can have people who can sing and they can dance and they can prophesy and do all sorts of things. You ask about their pocket and suddenly it gets very closed. No pressure. But I feel, you know, seeing Glasgow open, it's about us being open and resourcing. Anyway, it all will be made clear. I'm going to talk about us being a generous people. I've got four points and, and one of them is particularly about finance, but I didn't want to just lock it into finance because... We're talking about the heart of God here. Did you know in the, in the New Testament, um, Jesus had more to say about money than he had about heaven and hell put together. He talked about finances all the time. 38 of his parables. Out of 38 parables, 16 of them are about finance, how to use them, how to keep them uh, from using and abusing us. In the New Testament, there are 500 verses on prayer. I didn't read them all. Actually, I got it off the web. Right, 500 verses on, pr on prayer, 500 verses, uh, less than 500 on faith, and more than 2,000 verses dealing with financial matters. So how we handle our money and possessions is probably the most spiritual thing we can ever talk about. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11, I just want to read to you. If you've got a Bible, follow it. I was going to do a PowerPoint, but to be honest, I brought two sermons with me, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do, so I thought I'd forget the PowerPoint. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. Remember this. This is Paul, Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generous generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I've actually got a series of sermons on finance, which I cannot do in 50 minutes. But I hope you get the feel of it this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, our Dad, because He is our Dad, isn't He? He's ever so rich. He's ever so rich. There's no lack with Him. We, we can never come before Him wondering if He's got enough to go around. It's never a case of not enough blessing or enough provision for today. Generosity always flows from the heart of God. It's His nature. He's a God of abundance, even extravagance. Just look at the feeding of the 5,000, if you think about it for a minute. He took five small loaves and a couple of fish, fed everyone, 5,000 men plus women and children. He fed everyone until they were stuffed, okay? That's amazing. But what always blew me away was this 12 baskets full of food left over. Now, we go, well, what a waste. Don't, don't you think that's wasteful? It, it's, uh, it, it, why would he do that? Surely the hungry would need that. That's the wrong thinking. You see, God is generous in the extreme. There isn't any waste with him. There's always plenty to go around, and there's always plenty more where that came from. It's just how it is. The world, people, legalistic people kind of say, you, you shouldn't do that. You should give it here and eke out a little bit. It's a bit like Peter. You can imagine Peter, you know, he's feeding the 5,000, and, and he says, oh, Peter, here, get 50, rows of 50, please. Here, here's a piece of bread. And he's, 5,000. And the, the disciples are all going, oh, look at this. And you can imagine they're going, and a crumb for you, and a crumb for you. And it gets to the end of the first row. I can't seem to get rid of this bread. Have a bigger bit, have a bigger bit. At the end, he's throwing at them. I can't get rid of this bread. And there's so much, there's 12 baskets. That's the heart of God, though. Do you see that? That's the real heart of God. You need to see it. That's, that's how it works. Generosity, extravagance, exuberance always flow from the heart of God. So in Psalm 50, verses 9 to 12, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that's in it. That's our God. Our dad talking. I find that really comforting. Because we're his kids. And he wants to do us good. And he wants to share good things with us. But he does it because he calls us to share in his generosity. It's our joy and calling to, be, to become sort of conduits, if you like, of God's generosity into the world, like right, rivers of blessing to the people around us and to all the nations. That's our God. We're called to that. We're called to be channels of blessing, not, not legalistically so, but because we're his kids. He says, you can be generous too, because there's no lack, there's no shortage. Do you remember how Jesus was in the temple and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. This poor wi widow comes along with two small copper coins. 
And Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people have their gifts, give their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Why? What was her secret? She didn't say, well, I can only afford this today. She said, no, I give God this. Every penny, everything I have. Why? What's the secret? Well, she knew what she had was never going to be enough anyway. But she also knew that her God, her Lord, was ever so rich, and he would provide for her. That's the nature of our God. So let me repeat again. We, the church, and you here as a local church in Glasgow, are to be conduits of God's generosity. The rivers of God's blessing to Glasgow, to Scotland, to the world. And it is to the world. Don't stop. It's not just about Glasgow. You see, Glasgow opened up, but you know what? It's about the nations. Every local church must understand we are called to the nations. Every tribe and tongue and language. It's the passion of my life. It's what I live for. It's what I live for. Catch it. Get it. It's lovely. Okay. number of headings I want to work through. Four of them. This is the long one. Okay. The first one is this. We're called, we are called to be generous financially. Something happened, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost that we rarely talk about. Acts 2, 42 to 47, very, very well known. I'm going to read it to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These people had just been filled with the Spirit, adds to the church, blown away, enjoying God, going loopy, doing whatever they did, you know, being outrageous because people said, what is going on? But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the first effects we see of the dynamic encounter with and, fill, and infilling of the Holy Spirit was people selling their possessions and goods and making provision available in the local church so that the needy could be provided for. Okay? This then overflowed into the wider community. We hardly ever talk about this. We talk about tongues. We talk about gifts. We talk about celebration. We talk about discipleship. We talk about baptism. But actually this bit... If we're not careful, we go very legalistic on this, and I'm not being legalistic. But there's, an, a, there's a move of the Spirit here that caused people to become generous. Okay, it's not like you ought to. It's like, I want to. I've, I've been filled with God who's generous, and I want to bless people. I, I've got a different set of values now. God's heart is for people, especially the poor and needy. And so as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He, he draws from us a heart response to care for others, to love others. And that's immediately expressed in very practical ways. And these practical ways require money and in church to provide staff and resources to make a difference. Now, I want to tell you three stories, actually a story, but it's, 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 it's my story, it's Jean's story. It'll take a few minutes. But this is to encourage you. And this is the bit Andy wants me to share, <laughs> particularly. But I have to put it in its context. In 1978... Uh, Jean and I joined a church plant. God, God kind of took us down to Milton Keynes. 
uh, a new city. Uh, I was working for the Hammond Organ Company, electronics and music, because I'm just an electronics engineer who loves Jesus. Okay, that's, that's all I am. You know, that's, I'm, you know I, I, I'm a sound techie man, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Hammond organ repair, that's, that's who I am really. I just happen to love Jesus. And, and God moved us there, and I, 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 but what, what happened was, very quickly, within a, a month of moving to Milton Keynes, we joined a church plant, Pentecostal church plant, starting in Milton Keynes. And the church grew, but we barely had enough money to pay the leader, and um, things were very difficult and tight. We were all very green and working out things and getting filled with the Spirit and getting baptized in water and doing all the, the things that the Bible tells us to do. And Gene and I began to learn about giving and worshiping God with our money. Particularly, it was, was tithing was the thing, giving 10%. And it's, it's not the legal requirement, but it's actually a great starting point in worshiping God with our money. And so, you know, we were thinking, well, we'll perhaps we'll start and we'll give 5%. We couldn't afford that, so we thought, well, we better start just giving 10 because we can't afford five. So, so what, it's really, it's, it's as simple as that, you know, and we started giving 10% of our income before, uh, after tax at that point, and, and then we, we, we've just done it ever since, and then more and more. But that, that's how that started. What happened, um, though, as we started doing that, the church needed a building. We still had no money, and Jean, being very prophetic, used to cycle around on a bike those days, and and she kept riding past a, a Baptist church building that was up for sale. And she kept saying to me, God's going to give us that. I used to laugh. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And guess what? God gave us that. <laughs> it's, it, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story, except a church bought it, realized they'd done the wrong thing, finished up saying, look, if we give you this building, can we join your church? <laughs> if you insist, was what we said. And, and all we had to do was take over a, all we had to do was take over a, a, a mortgage of 27,000 pounds, which was really very easy to do. And what happened many, many years later, just to round it off, they sold the building. Uh, I'll tell you more about that. Now. They sold the building for 650,000 pounds many years later. But it's a gift of God, you see, because God's generous. That's the point I'm making. So don't ever worry about buildings. God can give you one. It's, 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 but it's about you having the right heart. And so we, we, we began to do. So there was about 40 of us. God gave us the building. But as more and more, as we started to worship God with the money, uh, with our money, things improved. Money improved. We did up the building. The leader got paid properly. And then in 1985, I was able to, by then I was like, had two jobs really. I was able to leave my employment and go full time alongside this other guy. Ten years later, in 1995, God moved uh, Gene and I to Brickhill. Brickhill Baptist Church in Bedford. This was a posh church. Uh, I mean, and I'm not posh, you know. Um, posh church in Bedford. It, one of those situations where, you know, it had joined New Frontiers. There was uh, six full-time, and five of them were leaving and going to plant their own churches, and he was pretty desperate, so he asked me if I'd go and join him, and uh, I, I went along. So that, I'll come back to that. By the way, the church in Milton Keynes... They sold their building eventually for 650000 bought another building for $3.1 million, and they'll see 1,000 people. They're about 700 strong now and just growing like topsy, having to develop the building even more to get youth and children in. And so the whole thing just takes off because it's the generosity and blessing of God. Okay? Just God. Just God. Okay, so Gene and I moved to Bedford. 
And there is this guy's number two. There was four of us full-time, including Steve Hurd, who had just got, he'd got saved in this church. He'd, he'd, he'd come on staff as the evangelist. What a pain. And, and, but you know what? I remember going to a, a thing where I just moved there. I went to this meeting, and a, one of these Kansas City prophets came over, this lady, you know, all teeth and blonde hair. It was, it was great. And, and, and there were 60 of us in the room, and she, she kept picking out Steve and me. She didn't, we were in Peterborough. I mean, we weren't even in the same. She kept picking us out, and she kept saying to Steve, you are Indiana Jones and the Holy Ghost, bang, on the floor. And she kept saying to you, and you're a father of many, bang. And, so, and we just kept getting up, and she kept saying it for about an hour, you know. So Steve, Steve heard, if you know Steve heard, I don't know if you know Steve Heard, but he, as far as he, he, he emails me saying, it's Indiana here. <laughs> All right? It's just how it is. It's just an Indiana Jones, isn't he? You know. So this big adventure, but money was tight. And there's the number two guy. And so the, the leader, Peter, who'd been there for 30 years, said to me, well, you're the new boy. Why don't you do some teaching on giving, on money? I thought, oh, thanks. So I, I researched it. He said, you can have three weeks three weeks in a row, you know, how to win people, how to get favor from this church you've just joined. I'm going to talk to you about money for three weeks. And, and so I put this thing together, and actually I was quite proud of it. And you know what? I lost all the notes. I don't know where it's gone. I can't find it. <sighs> However, that's just God having a bit of a laugh at my expense, I think. And I began to teach the principles. The guy who'd been leading for for 30 years, decided he couldn't lead it, he wanted to retire, so I finished up leading the church, and we began this adventure. Taught the principles of giving, the giving started to increase, and we reached the point where we were giving away 23% of our income every year. On top of that, each year, for two years in a row, we had a £100,000 surplus. On top of giving 23000 it was just like, we couldn't get rid of money. It was, it was embarrassing, really. By then... By then, the staff had increased to seven people full-time, four people part-time, and we still had 100,000 pounds, two years in a row spare. We wanted to develop the, the building, put another floor at the back, and develop different things. And so what happened was, hero me, I remember saying to the elders one day, guys, we've got to lead the way. This is where the leaders have to lead the way. I said, I'll tell you what, guys, here's what I, I'm prepared to do. I'm, I'm prepared to double tithe my income before tax. I'm prepared to give 20%. Who wants to join me? And they all said, yes, Paul. <laughs> Smiling at me through gritted teeth. And then, then I went to the staff, because we had staff and all sorts. And I said to them, there was about 15 in the room, this is what the elders are going to do. Would you like to join us? They all said, yes, Paul. I like the words, yes, Paul. It's quite good, really. And, and, and so I then went to the church and said, look, elders and staff are all going to give 20% of their income before tax into the church because we need half a million pounds. We've got 200,000. We want to do it debt-free and do it quickly. Within six months, all the work was done, paid off, debt-free. The giving just about doubled, okay? The giving went from something like £450,000 income a year to £800,000. It was just like... So, so, so the, the amazing thing is this. 
Then we'd finished the building. A lot of people said, but God's blessing us so much, we're not going to stop. We want to keep giving at this level because God's generous and we're getting blessed. So the, the giving went down a bit, but, but not to original levels. Then after that, we got involved in Turkey, doing ministry trips into Turkey, Gene and I, then into Africa, Tanzania. I think we're going to go again soon. Lord help us. All right? But we got this church in Mbeer. I haven't got time to tell you the story, but Mbeer, Tanzania. We went out there. We had eight days. It was life-changing. This guy, he sent me an email, said, I love your values. Please can I be part of New Frontiers? That, that's all I knew about him, really, apart from a few emails. We went out. There's this, these people. Their worship was amazing. They met in this building sort of concrete walls and a concrete floor and the toilet was a hole in the ground for 250 people and that's interesting and and but he lived with his four children in this building and so we paid for him to come to the conference we paid money for them to go to Zimbabwe and to the New Frontiers conferences there we poured money in there we we took up an offering one Christmas to get him a, a house we thought it would cost 12,000 pounds, and we, we, took, we got 43,000. We thought, why have we got 43,000 as a Christmas offering? Guess how much the house cost? It's like he built a school. It, you know, a little house for him and his family. His rooms, he can get 40 people in each room. There's loads and loads of rooms. He's got a whole compound. He's got places for widows and orphans to stay. There's about 16 people living with them. The, we then poured money. They went bought a lot of land to, to, to develop farming God's way and teach the community farming God's way. Now they're looking after 100 AIDS orphans and all sorts of stuff, and they are penniless. Okay? And now Jubilee's getting involved. It's, it's, uh, yeah, Jubilee, my church, getting involved. Ha. I think the elders are thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that, we poured money into the Anglican Church Network in Tanzania, kept sending out container loads of equipment for, their, for all the different things, and, and that's still going on. That work continues, and it's a joy. And I think I've just agreed that Gene and I are going back out there next, next June. At, at, at my church's expense. Huh. It's not a cheap trip. Anyway, then, sorry, it's a long story, this, but, but then God moved Gene and I to Teesside three days before Christmas 2009. There's a whole prophetic story behind that that, that I really haven't time to share with you today, other than to say, and I'll tell Andy after, the story is not yet finished and continues, and it's scary right now, okay? But this adventure in faith, you, you really got to understand, I, I, was, I was looking at some notes um, just a couple of weeks ago that I made. There was a 35-year-old New Frontiers leader of a well-known church who shall be nameless, said to Gene and I when we were moving to Teesside, because I was 60 then, he said, you must be mad if I was 60, there's no way on earth I'd be thinking of that. I'd be thinking about retirement. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. All right? Because we serve the king. You don't retire from his business. You are, we're serving him. But we, and, and we're no heroes. I'm a wimp. But, but I am. You know, I've got a yellow stripe down my back that wide. But, but God knows that, so he's called me anyway. Weird. And you know, all you have to do is say yes 
It's simple. All you have to do is say yes to God. Your destinies are shaped by saying yes to God. All right? But not just once. Next time and next time and next time and next time. Never say no because the day you say no, you stop it. God loves you. You'll go to heaven, but you know what? You'll have missed it. You know that song, I want to give my life to something that lasts forever. Lord, I delight. Do you remember that one? I want to serve the persons of God in my generation. It's an old one, and you're all very young, so you probably don't know it, (laughs) which is really sad. But you see, we are a people on a mission. It's not just about me and God. I delight in Him. I love Him. But He calls us together as a world-changing people. Not just New Frontiers, but the church. And we're part of it. And there's all these individual destinies being formed as God knits us together for his glory. It's, it's wonderful. Anyway, God moves Jinai to, to Jubilee Church, Teesside, Christmas 2009. When I was invited to Teesside, I was told that the only problem was they didn't really have any money to pay me. That's <laughs> very true. But the elders and trustees rose in faith and said they would try and match my Brick Hill salary that I had in my previous church, but they had no idea how they're going to do it. Come and lead us. Just like, okay. So Gene and I arrived, and I discovered that Jubilee Church Teesside had an annual shortfall on income against expenses of £40,000 a year. Okay? We don't have our own building. We're paying out about 50000 a year in rent on premises and that sort of thing. It costs us £560 every Sunday, to just every Sunday, to have our, our meeting. That's what it costs, you know, plus we've got offices. That's how it goes. So I looked at this and thought, well, things are going to have to change because I want to get paid. And um, there was a self-settlement, you understand. So in March 2010, I taught for two weeks on the church as, as the resource base of God's kingdom on the earth. And week one was kingdom resourcing the principle. Week two was kingdom resourcing the practice. And at that point, They were good. The the giving increased a bit, and people were very positive. But around October 2010, it became clear we were running out of money, and so we decided, uh, elders and trustees, that we should have a gift day at the end of January 2011 to meet the the shortfall. Now, as it happened, Andy Merrick was coming to do a Sunday at Jubilee on November the 14th, 2010. So this is about 10 weeks before we're going to have a gift day because we're going to have a special offering. Now, you need to understand also, at this point, I hadn't actually told the church we were going to have a special offering. I was waiting until after Christmas so they could have a nice Christmas and then I'd start in the new year. You know, I didn't want them to worry too much. So Andy arrives. He stands up to preach on the 14th of November, 2010. And he starts by bringing two words from God that were kind of related. The first was that he felt God saying that although we were an unlikely bunch, a bit like David before Goliath, God was going to use us to break the curse of poverty, not only in our own lives, but also in the whole area of Teesside. Yeah. And then Andy brought this, a very directional word, which I will read to you in full. I have the text. Okay. (laughs) He spluttered a bit, but it's as he said it. Okay, so <laughs> he says, I felt from Acts 11 when Antioch, uh, in Antioch, Ag- Agabus prophesies a famine over the whole Roman world. 
got to remember that Antioch was in the Roman world so that the famine was coming to the people he was prophesying to. Like he got up in church one Sunday morning and said, guys, a prophetic word from the Lord says there's a famine coming and it's coming to the whole of the UK. It's that kind of thing. And what they do, they say, okay, we'll take up an, we'll take up an offering and we'll send it to London. And you think, why, why do they need the money? Well, that's what they did. I believe God's calling you because on the news, everyone is talking about Teesside and the difficulties that's gonna, and what's going to happen uh, with the cuts and all the public sector workers losing their jobs and things like that. He says, you don't need to be a prophet to see. The prophets of the world are prophesying doom and gloom over, over Teesside, aren't they? Absolutely. Is the good bit. He says, that's what's been spoken of you, and I believe God's calling you to take up an offering and send it somewhere else that's going to be in trouble too. And doing that's going to break something off you, and God's going to prosper you in a time of great difficulty for those around you. Hallelujah. Uh, you can imagine I sat going, thanks. <laughs> With the usual smile on your face as a leader. So grateful you came. Pardon? He did say wait, but the problem is I knew he was right. That's the annoying thing. You know, it's like it didn't need any weighing. It's like, I know this is God. Mm. You know, it's just because just God, you may know it's God, it doesn't mean you've got to like it. Just do it. You really, you, it's, it's not all yippee-doo. It's take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's sacrificial. It's count the cost. It's, are you, are you really up for this? Well, early January, we had a, a vision Sunday. And I told the church that we were not going to despise prophecy, but be obedient and take up an offering and give every penny away. And the people responded really well. They loved the adventure in faith. A few weeks later, we had this celebration Sunday, and they danced as they brought their money and put it in this big bucket and all that sort of stuff, you know. With the tax due back from the tax man on what was given, the, total off, the offering total was 40,000 pounds, which was the shortfall. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm thrilled. Okay. And over the next little while, we gave every penny of the 40,000 away. Okay? Every penny, including the money that came back from the tax man. Now, you know, I, I have to have little conversations with the trustees from time to time. You understand? You have to have a little word in their ear because they're full of faith, but they're saying, well, could we not just keep the money from the tax man? No. Every penny. Okay? And then we discovered there was 1,500 pounds had come in, that, sort of late from an IOU. I said, couldn't we just... No. So we finished up giving that to Oslo. That's the last. That, that's, that's only a few months ago, actually, because it came in late. So every penny went. Hallelujah. Just, you know, we loved it. Thank you, Lord. However, we still had no money. <laughs> and by April 2011, things were getting very tight. So rather than have another gift day, which seemed a bit of a backward step, we had a pledge day around June time where I, I asked everyone in the church to fill in a little piece of paper saying, and tell the elders, hand it in to, to the elders, please will you tell us what you're planning to give to Jubilee in the next 12 months? And I asked them to sign it. They could do it anonymously if they wanted to, but you know what? There's something about standing up and be counted. There's something about putting your name where your money is and your mouth where your money is. 
And it's, it's, I'm not embarrassed to do that. I'm, not embarrassed, I'm just not embarrassed about money anymore. Because actually, if we're really wholehearted, we're wholehearted. And if you're not wholehearted with your money, you're not wholehearted. Simple as that. It's just how it is. I don't mean to offend you. So you know, people filled in their bits of paper, and I was blown away completely when we went through all the pledges and found that the people had pledged to increase their giving by 30,000 a year. And the people have been ever so faithful doing that. Some of the giving has been incredibly, incredibly sacrificial. I, I'm just absolutely gobsmacked by it. A few months after the Pledge Sunday, another church in the Northeast gave us a gift of 5,000 pounds. Just felt we want to give you that. Thank you, Lord. And then last December, a church member gave the church a gift of 40,000 pounds on top of his normal giving. And suddenly, what we gave away came back. And you go, wow. And the trustees are going, hey, this, this faith thing, this is really good. You know, we, we, we're faith. We like this. We really like this. It's ever so good. Jubilee's in a better state financially than it's ever been in its history. Hallelujah. But I believe with all my heart, it's time to raise the giving bar again. It's not time to sit back. We're going to do it again. We're going to raise the bar again. In the next few months, I plan to bring on another elder full-time, and I'm also talking to the trustees about the possibility of a couple of other guys coming on part-time. We're out there. We're asking the local authorities for a building. I had a meeting with the mayor, believe it or not, just two or three weeks ago, and, and he was saying, yeah, I want to try and find you somewhere. 50 minutes with the mayor, and he's basically telling me about his soul. It's amazing. I told him he was like Cyrus called a God with a man of destiny, and part of it was giving us a building. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, we're, he's, he's getting his guys, he's, believe it or not, he's getting his guys uh, to contact us to see what they can find for us. Wow. That's God. This is God, but you start down a road of obedience and watch what God does. It's just how God works. Now, I, I, I tell you all those things to encourage your faith. See, on top of all of that, we're planning ministry trips to Africa and Turkey next year. And you know what? We're only just getting started. I'm 63 now, but we're only just getting started because we haven't broken the spirit of poverty in Teesside yet. It's nice, but we have, you know, we're there to see Teesside transformed, the nation transformed, and the nations transformed. And our, my people are getting it. Slowly, they're getting it. They're coming alive with the excitement of it because everybody has part to play. We're shareholders together in it. Right. I've got three other short points. Is that all right? Yes. Are you okay? Can you, is this all right? We're called to be generous financially, but we're called to be generous in mercy and lavish with grace. You see, our God's rich in mercy. He's lavish with grace. And, and I love that word lavish. It speaks to me of limitless indulgence. Do you, do, you, do you like that? I, I, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story, but I used to have an Auntie Mary. I lived next door to her, and when I was a little boy, she used to make me treacle dumplings, you know, suet puddings, yeah. steamed suet puddings, and I'd put the whole thing on the plate, and then I'd pour golden syrup all over, yeah. no custard, and just keep pouring until it soaked all the way through, and then just eat the whole thing. I laid down a good foundation. <laughs> you know. But that's lavish, isn't it? That's the nature of lavishness. It's indulgent. And you know what? God's like that. 
He's like that. He says, I, I want to lavish grace on you. I, I want to lavish mercy on you. We're to be that sort of people who give it away. You know, mercy means not receiving what we deserve, but grace means receiving blessings we don't deserve. We're to treat people like that. We're to be like that. Being receivers of that much, much blessing, surely God wants us to be a people who reveal his generous mercy and grace through the way we get involved with the people around us, caring for those who don't deserve it in a way that brings the blessing of God to them. That's our calling. That's our calling. Point three. See, I thought it was quick. Generous in sharing the gospel. Generous in sharing the gospel. Nothing reveals the generosity of God more clearly than Jesus. God gave his best for the worst. That's generous. Don't you think? He gave him who was so dear and precious to him so that we could become children of God and share forever in the inheritance that belongs to his son. I'll have some of that. That's, 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 you see, I have a destiny and it's eternal. It's eternal. Ruling and reigning. Oh, that's another preach. Okay. But what generosity from God. What love. What an abundance of mercy and grace. Generous proclaimers of the gospel. But that's, that's to be the air we breathe. It's like just instinctive. It's what we do. That's what the Great Commission's all about. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now look, you go. Talks about, he commissions us. Go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. I'm a bit passionate about that last bit. I'm starting to put material together to teach new Christians. You see, we're seeing Muslims get saved steadily. We're seeing all sorts of people get saved, but they have no understanding of scriptural truth. And if people are going to be built on a solid foundation, they need to know the teaching of Jesus. So anyway, that's another, another thing. But for me, that's my number one task, is to teach people what Jesus commands. And the Holy Spirit takes that truth and brings it alive and shapes their destiny. Now, you might say, well, actually, sure, our most important thing we do is, is, is not evangelism, it's worship. Well, of course, but worship is about more than singing songs. It's everything to do with obedience. You know, this is, you know, when the music fades, you know that song, when the music fades, and all is stripped away. That's when worship begins for me. You know, all, all, I, I love singing songs. I'm, I'm mad about music of all sorts. I love pipe organ music, but you probably get a bit bored of that. But that's who I am. The issue is this. When we made the decision about finance, when we made the decision to come up here, all of those up, up, up here, but up to Teesside, we didn't have a song. It was made in the cold light of day. Obedience in the cold light of day. Standing before a God and saying, yes, Lord. That's what we're called to. It's not about, I love, don't get me wrong, I love the worship, but worship, strip away the emotionalism and say, yes, Lord. That's real worship. And that's being evangelistic. You see, people need to hear about Jesus. My roots are Salvation Army. Hero of mine is William Booth. I just love it, right? But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? People need to know about Jesus. They need to know the gospel. We are to be oh so generous with the gospel. It's a key part of our worship. And finally, generous with the blessings of God's kingdom. The full proclamation of the gospel is more than just the story of the cross. 
It's the gospel, it's the good news of a coming kingdom that comes through Jesus Christ and has entered through Jesus Christ. And we are the ones through whom the world will taste the wonders of the age to come. I believe that with every passion, everything in me. We are the ones. You see, so like, if you've got a non-Christian friend, so do you want to have a taste? Do you want to have a taste of what God's like? And they go, what's that? Huh, that's a bit of God. Do you like that? It's, it's how, it's, seriously, it's, it's, it, 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 it's not just that. It may be love, care, generosity, maybe all sorts of things, but, but it's the heart of it. God gifts us and makes us agents of his kingdom. He wants us not only to proclaim Christ, but to demonstrate his coming kingdom to a lost and dying world by caring for the poor and needy, by feeding the hungry, by housing the homeless, by healing the sick, by raising the dead, by driving out demons, and on and on and on. It's the whole package. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. Okay? That's the generosity. It's not, you're not asking you to do what you can't do. He's, he's given you all you need to do this. Yeah. One of the best pictures of generosity I see in Scripture is found in Acts 3, 1 to 6. I'm nearly done. But most of you will know this story, and I'm going to read it anyway. Did you say a quarter or two at the latest? I'm all right. I'm all right. I've heard preachers, I've heard people tell me I've got loads of time before and then shut me up. Um, okay, but here, here it is, Acts 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his full attention, expecting to get something. And then Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have, because I give it to somebody else, right? But, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The whole thing about generosity is there, isn't it? I can't give you what I don't have, but I can give you what God's given to me. Because he's ever so rich. And I can give it generously and freely and gladly, knowing that whatever I give away, he'll give me more of. That's just the heart of God. Whatever I give away, he'll give me more of in every area of my life. All this is to be done because we are people full of the Holy Spirit. We will never change the world in our own strength. We will never care for the poor and needy through the natural planning of men and women. We will never see thousands and thousands of people saved and added to this church through our best efforts and clever planning. We will never see the kingdom demonstrated, people healed, demon cast out, and even the dead raised just through being well-organized and having good structures. Of course, we want to be well-organized, and we want to have good structures, but we must do all of these things in the power and the anointing of the person of the Holy Spirit. We must. There's no other way. The spontaneous outburst of generosity that accompanied the outpouring of the Spirit of Pentecost was not planned for. It wasn't. It was like, whoa. Oh. It was an overflow of the Spirit of God surging from the believers. We are to be a people through whom flows streams of living water to a lost and dying world. The problem is many of God's children have a blockage. Anybody got a blockage today? You see, they love to receive, but they fail to give it away. And so their walk with God becomes, usually in my experience, goes two ways. One, either it becomes weird, and we make weirdness a virtue. 
I mean, some things God does is weird. I'm not against that. But, but weirdness of itself is not virtue. And sometimes if we fail to give stuff away, we just go weird. Alternatively, we become dry and religious rather than dynamic and adventurous. To be a generous people, we need to be filled with and be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me finish with this. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, not some. Notice the riches are given so that we may be generous in every area of our lives. It's not just one, I'll be generous there, but not here. That's not how it works. It's the whole package of being a generous person full of God. James challenges us when he, he, he says to us in James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, particularly speaking of money. But how often I hear Christians, oh God, please meet my need, meet my need. And so, well, uh, and so what are you going to do with it? Oh, I, 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 want to, I want some savings. You know what I said? I, seriously, I've heard people pray some stupid prayers. I have a simple philosophy. If you've got a lot of savings, according to your faith, be it, you know, people say, I'm saving for a rainy day. According to your faith, be it unto you. Have one. It's, it's simple. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's simple. It's not complicated. Uh, this, this, this wisdom required, there's some people got gifts of wealth generation for the kingdom, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not decrying having money, but actually you need to know if, it, if you're generous or not, or if actually your security is in your money rather than in your God. Freely we've received, let's freely give. A very key part that will help us step into all God has for us is learning and choosing to worship God with our money by regularly giving into our local church that we're part of. We see in the, in the temple, in the Old Testament, God's desire was to have food in the house so that the poor could be cared for. All right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God on the earth. He wants there to be an abundance of food and resource in his house so that through the church, the poor can be cared for, the hungry fed, the homeless housed, the sick healed, and the lost found for the glory of God. And I'm done. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you.